let's jump into this series that we've been in called The Good Shepherd. And guess what? I've got a joke. Y'all want to hear a joke? Are y'all ready for it? Yes! I'm getting a resounding yes from the front row, so we're going to go with it. Here we go. All right, here's the joke. What are pastors called in Germany? German shepherds. German shepherds. Hey, it goes along with the good. It's just good. I told that. I told that joke to our volunteers and the uh, our drummer Driggers. He said that joke was rough, rough, rough. Okay, I better stop while I'm ahead. Driggers' joke was better than mine. I like it. Okay, but back to this series. We've been in the Good Shepherd. Uh, we've been working through this deeper understanding of just how good our God really is. Because if we forget it. Or if we don't remember it, life gets worse. It doesn't get better, right? And so for this series, we've been digging into the 23rd Psalm. Specifically, we're going to look at the beginning of the 23rd Psalm that deals with the Good Shepherd. So to catch us up, let's take a minute and let's just review, okay? And here's how the 23rd Psalm starts. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now that was the first week. You know, we need to remember how good God has been and how he's provided and how he promises to meet those needs in our life if we'll just trust and look towards the good shepherd. The next part, the next verse says, He makes me to lie down in those green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Now, we looked at this verse and we were just like, this goodness and grace and this, this moment of relaxation. In a world that's filled with stress and anxiety and we're overwhelmed so much of the time, what our good shepherd wants for us is to take a Sabbath, to take a moment and just rest in his presence. And that's what the good shepherd leads us to do. And then here's where I want to go today in verse 3. It says this, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. Let's talk a little bit about this phrase. Uh, some of your verses might say he refreshes my soul. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, well let's start with what is our soul? What is your soul? The, the Bible says that we have a body and a soul, and your soul your soul is what really makes up your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your mind, your will, and your emotions, okay? So before we dig down too deep into restoring a broken soul, let's simplify this a little bit when it comes to our soul. My soul is the part of me, when I talk about the mind, will, and emotions, this is the part of me that thinks, chooses, and feels, that thinks about things, that makes choices, and that feels, you know, that just... Those three things really kind of make up who we are, right? All, all of those things kind of determine the type of person that you are. And sometimes, let's be honest, those three areas aren't in a good place because our souls. Our souls are damaged. They're hurt. For instance, when it comes to your thinking, you don't always have the best thoughts, do you? Be honest, your mind has a mind of its own sometimes. And your mind will take you to places, especially at night when you're trying to go to sleep and you just can't go to sleep because you are worried about this or that or you have this thought about this person and your mind just kind of takes over. And sometimes we never want to go to those places. When it comes to your feelings, your emotions, can your emotions be damaged? Of course they can. Sometimes our emotions are all jacked up. In fact, one of the worst pieces of advice that you can give people is just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Just do whatever you feel is best. That may not be the best advice because Scripture actually says that our hearts can lead us astray because our souls are sometimes damaged and our emotions are all jacked up. And our feelings are all over the board. Sometimes we can't trust them. 
And that leads us to the last one, the choices that we make. Because my thoughts aren't in the right place and because my emotions are all over the place, I don't always make the best choices and neither do you, right? It's easy. It's easy to let these things get away from us. So what I'm trying to say is that when these areas aren't right, it could be, it could be that a part of our life, our soul, is damaged a bit. You know, we might be hurt a little bit. So when we talk about our soul, God comes into that conversation and he says, I want to restore your soul. I want to refresh your soul. Like, I want to make you whole. And that's one of the great things that the good shepherd does for us. And so now that we have a better understanding of our soul and, and, and when it's damaged, what it affects in us, the next question might be, well, what damages our soul? Like, how does our soul get damaged, right? And what causes our thoughts and choices and feelings to kind of get off track? And then how does God restore that? So let's look at that this morning. When it comes to our soul, how are our souls damaged? Well, point number one, if you got your message notes, you can follow along with me and fill in some blanks. If you're online today, we're so glad that you're with us. You can follow along in the Ridge app um, wherever you are today and fill in some blanks. So number one are grudges. Grudges will damage our souls. When you're resentful, when you're bitter towards someone that has hurt you, all it does is damage your own heart. And truth is, we're all broken. We are all broken people. No one is perfect. And you know what? You're going to get hurt. And honestly, you're going to hurt others. You will. It happens. Some of us get hurt intentionally. Some of us get hurt unintentionally. And sometimes when that happens, we start to build up grudges in our life, right? So, so what do you do? What, what do you do when you get hurt, right? Should, should you just be bitter and resentful towards that person? No. In fact, look at the advice that Job's friends... Now, Job's friends weren't great at giving advice, but they look at Job and everything that Job had gone through, and he might have been feeling a little bitter, building up some grudges... And they look at Job and they said this. It says, your anger is tearing you to pieces. This is what it does to us. It just tears us up on the inside. What we do when we're holding these grudges against other people is that we just end up hurting ourselves, right? And what I found is that, honestly, the other person may not even know that there's this bad blood between the two of you. And they're just going on living their lives. And meanwhile, meanwhile, we're the ones that are just wallowing in it, right? Just allowing it just to overwhelm us. What's important... When it comes to those moments, is how do you respond in those moments? Because those moments that cause friction between us and other people, it can do one of two things. It can either make us bitter or it can make us better. It can make us bitter or it can make us better. So how does the good shepherd help us with this? Like how does the good shepherd restore that portion of our soul that's being damaged with that? Here's what he does. Jesus turns my hurts into holiness. Jesus can turn our hurt into holiness. In other words, what he can do is that he brings good out of the bad. He has this incredible way of just turning things around sometimes. And you know this because I use this verse all the time. One of my favorite verses is Romans chapter 8, verse verse 8. Uh, verse 28, it says this. We know that in everything, God works for the good of those who love him. Now, let me teach you something about this. This verse is a promise from God, but it's only for the people of God. Okay, this is a promise 
from God for the people of God. Those who love him, right? He promises to work for good, right? So how does he do that? Like some of y'all are like, come on, preacher. Like I've heard this before. Like I know that you say God can, you know, turn bad into good things. But how is that possible? Because sometimes the bad is just so overwhelming. I can't see anything good in it, especially if you're going through it right now. Let me give you two good examples. One, he can turn my wounds into wisdom. Wounds into wisdom. Now think about that for a minute. Because you're a lot smarter after you've gone through something difficult, aren't you? This happens for you. How many times have you been hurt and you came out of the experience and you're like, now I know better, right? I'll never do that again. Or I'll never let that happen again. Jesus can use those moments to teach us. Here's another example. He can use criticism to humble me. You're more likely to be humble after you've received some criticism. And I know that it's tough. And I know nobody likes to be criticized, right? But also, you know what else is tough? is pride. Like scripture says pride goes before the fall, right? We're heading into a disaster. So that's also a bad thing, right? So even though that criticism may hurt so much, God might actually use it to expose those areas in our life where we're holding on to a little pride, where we kind of built ourselves up, maybe. So that's just two ways. But you know, in Romans chapter 8, if you keep reading the next verse, it says that the goal... The goal in this life is for us to become more like Jesus, right? That's our goal. Like, that's what we're heading towards is perfection, being perfected in the image of Christ, right? And this is a journey whereby we are moving forward in the grace of God, where we just keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper, and we find more and more and more of his goodness and his grace in our lives that, that continue, is continually remaking us into his image, and that's what we want. If God's goal is to make us like Jesus, if I can be honest, sometimes, sometimes, the best way we learn is when we face a challenge, right? If everything is just easy and comes by very easy in life, what we might end up turning into are, you know, just spoiled little brats, (laughs) and nobody likes that. You know, when I think about a great example of this, I think about Joseph in the Old Testament. Y'all remember him. He was the one that started out having a pretty charmed life. He was daddy's favorite. He had the Technicolor dream coat to prove it. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? He wore it around. He showed it off. He bragged to his brothers. He even told his brothers this crazy thing. I thought this was crazy. He was like, you know, I had a vision the other night, and all of y'all are going to bow down to me. (laughs) How'd that go over? Not well, right? They didn't take too kindly to being told this or what Joseph thought about himself. So things went downhill pretty quickly. I'm going to give you the cliff note version of this. After they've had enough, the brothers, they fake his death. They tell his dad that he's dead. They throw him in a pit. They sell him into slavery. Joseph, then he gets accused of messing around with the boss's wife, which then gets him thrown into prison. So while he's in prison, his friend gets beheaded, and he is waiting, wondering every day if that's going to be his fate. Like, nothing goes well for Joseph at all for decades and decades, and you're left wondering what good can come of this. And some of you might be, some of you might kind of feel that way. You know, like, I've been in this. My soul's feeling a little damaged. You know, I'm holding on to this grudge against others, against God. 
And I'm not really sure how he's going to turn this thing around. Well, through all of that, I'll remind you in Joseph's story, God was working behind the scenes, right? God actually uses that situation to set Joseph up. Joseph gets out of jail, okay? He, he is put in the second highest position in the Egyptian government that would end up placing him in a position to save his family in the entire nation from a drought that was taking place. He ended up being a blessing to himself, to the entire nation, and to his family. It's this amazing story of restoration. And then, later on, if you keep reading in the book of Genesis, at the very end, when he finally comes face-to-face with his brothers, right after everything that had happened, when he should have held a grudge, when he should have been wallowing in all the hurt and the brokenness, and look what you did to me, attitude. He's in a position to end their lives for what they did to him. And in one of the best verses, I love this verse, in Genesis 50, verse 2, Joseph looks at his brothers and he says this, you meant to hurt me, but God, God turned your evil into good. God turned it around. In other words, God took the bad and he made things better. Joseph looked at his brothers and he's like, I'm not bitter. I'm better. God not only saved me in this, he saved you. He saved an entire nation through all of this. Now, am I saying that God caused all the bad things to happen in Joseph? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying is that God can use those things. And God used those things in Joseph's life to make him a better person through it. You see... When we learn this, when we learn to trust the good shepherd and see that God can actually do something good in the middle of hurt and brokenness, man, we'll find our souls are refreshed. The second thing that damages our souls, number two, is guilt. Guilt. Grudges and guilt might be the two biggest things that warp our souls. Grudges have to do with what people have done to you, right? Guilt is what you've done to other people, right? And we have both of them. And nothing hurts our souls quite like carrying around a bunch of guilt. And if I can be honest, a lot of people have this misconception when it comes to God. They think that God actually wants us to feel guilty, Like somehow that guilt that we carry, like feeling bad for our sins and our screw-ups in life, like somehow that makes us more holy. And if you look back in history, I'm always amazed when I'm watching these documentaries and things. When you come to these religious fanatics back in the early days when they would remove themselves in solitudes and, you know, for sins and like whip themselves on the back or something. And you look at those examples of what they were doing you're like how would they think that that's why would they do that like this is crazy and then I wonder how much damage do we do to ourselves by just holding on to that guilt by just carrying that guilt with us for decades or a lifetime and just letting it eat us up in essence what we do is we beat ourselves up every day when we don't hand it over to Christ and it warps our soul look at this verse from the psalmist Uh, David talks about guilt and he says this he says my guilt it overwhelms me it's a burden too heavy to bear 
We kind of know, we know what that feels like, right? He says, I am bent over and I'm racked with pain from this guilt. All day long, I walk around filled with grief. Listen, God doesn't want this for you. Some of y'all, you, you feel like this in your life right now. The good shepherd does not want this. So, so what do you do with that guilt? It's kind of the same thing we do with the grudges. We got to ask for forgiveness, right? When it comes to grudges, like we ask other people to forgive, right? We have to forgive other people, right? When it comes to guilt, we ask God to forgive us. We hand it over to the good shepherd. And then, this is important, we got to forgive ourselves. You have to forgive yourself and move forward. Okay, he doesn't want you carrying that guilt anymore. And normally we do everything but that. We have a hard time handing it over. We'll do everything else. Like we'll minimize our guilt. We'll blame our guilt. We'll rationalize our guilt. We'll deny our guilt. We'll beat ourselves up over the guilt. But we got to learn to confess it. We got to learn to admit it to God and give it to Him. And here's what the Good Shepherd does Jesus replaces guilt with grace, He replaces our guilt with His grace. Jesus takes all my guilt and he says, I'm going to take this from you. This is why I came to die for these sins and I'm going to give you my grace and fill you with my goodness so that you can have a better life, not just for eternity, but a better life right here and right now. You see, all that guilt that we carry in life, when we ask to exchange it for, for God's goodness, his grace, the Bible says that he gets rid of that sin. Like, he separates it from us. And I used this example a couple of weeks back, but I love it so much. In Micah, the, the prophet Micah, he, he says, he gives this beautiful illustration of how God sinks our sins to the deepest part of the ocean. Places they haven't even discovered yet. He gets rid of our sin, and then I like to think that he puts up a sign that says no fishing. And the reason I say that is because you know what we do with our guilt? Man, we set up a little camp, and we get our fishing pole, and we try to reel it back in, don't we? We try to hook it and bring it. Why, why would we do that? Like, seriously, like, why would we do that? If God has forgiven us, why can't I forgive myself? Jesus died to remove that sin. Scripture says he promises to remove it forever. And one more thing I mean. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for all your sins. Not just some of them, but all of them. And if Jesus is willing to forgive all your sins, shouldn't you? Like if God is willing to forgive me, shouldn't I forgive myself? We, we got to confess. We got to confess that. We, we got to exchange that guilt that we bear for God's grace. That's what the good shepherd does for us. And it restores our soul. The third thing. Third way our, our, our souls are damaged is grief. Grief. Now we're all going to have grief in life because we're going to have loss. Right? There's no loss without pain, and there's no pain without grief. And while guilt's bad and grudges are bad, grief isn't necessarily bad, all bad. And the reason I say that is because grieving is the way that we get through those tough changes in life. 
But what is bad is unprocessed grief. When we really haven't dealt with it. For instance, let's go back to King David. Psalm 31, he says this. He says, Lord, have mercy on me because I'm in misery. He's grieving in this moment. I'm in misery. He says, my eyes are so weak from so much crying, and my whole being is tired from this grief. You see, if if guilt doesn't get us and grudges don't get us, grief can get us. And, And all of us have those things in life that just eat away at our soul, and it ultimately affects the way we think, feel, and the decisions we make. So, so if we're dealing with grief, what does a good shepherd do? Here, here's what he does. Jesus understands my feelings and he offers healing. This is huge, y'all. Our God, let me put it in those terms. Our God understands what I'm going through and he offers healing in my life. Now, why would I say that this is so important for us to understand? It's because Jesus was one of us. He knows exactly. He's experienced everything that we have. He came to earth and lived as one of us. He experienced the loneliness that we feel. He experienced the betrayal of a really good friend. He experienced the rejection. He went through it all. In fact, Isaiah says that he was despised. Now, imagine... Imagine for a minute visiting a place where you knew people were going to despise you, right? Where you knew people were going to reject you. Might be like a a Braves fan visiting a game against the Philadelphia Phillies, right? Especially right now. Or the New New York Mutts, right? Sorry, Mets. Did I slip? Sorry. You know, big division rivals, right? You know, it might be kind of a rough environment if things don't go well, right? But imagine a much worse place. Like, imagine going somewhere where physically, like, you could be harmed. Would you go? I probably wouldn't go. I'd stay away if they didn't want me. But Jesus came anyway, right? Like, he left his heavenly throne. He left, y'all, he left perfection, right? For mess. He left a throne to be born in a stable, fully aware of everything that was going to happen to him and the grief that he would experience. He understands what you're going through, and he offers healing. Psalm 147 says he heals the brokenhearted, and he bandages their wounds. That's the good shepherd. So I don't know what's breaking your soul right now. Some of you, maybe your heart is just in pieces, and I'm sorry for that. And if you're, if you're here and that's happening, like I'm glad that you're here. Man, this is a place for healing broken hearts. Jesus would look at you and say, I feel your pain, and I want to heal that wound. And you know what else? Jesus never wanted us to forget the sacrifice that he that he made to help us deal with these grudges and the grief and the guilt that we bear. You know, Jesus came, like I said, to give us eternal life, right? But also to help us right here, right now. And we need it. And so to help us remember the reason that he came and the goodness that he offers, he gave us a symbol. He, he gave us communion. He gave us the Lord's Supper. This is a way that we remember his sacrifice. Everything that was done, And just how great the Good Shepherd really is.